Football is back and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football and with the Bet365 Bet Builder you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. And welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. This is your weekly appointment for all the best blues news and views. And given that there have been three games since we last spoke, we better get to it. Available ad-free on The Athletic app, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, welcome in again, listener. Matt Davis-Adams here, ready to talk you through another week in the life of Chelsea Football Club. Since we last spoke, there have been three first-team games, ten goals scored, four conceded and a penalty shootout. Phew. To talk through it all, I'm joined by the Athletics Chelsea expert. Simon Johnson is here. Hello. So do Dominic Fifield. Hello. And of course, not forgetting Liam Toomey. I think we figured it out. Simon's a bit jollier when he's introduced first, isn't he? <laughs> well, that's why I put him at the top, gave him top billing today. Before we get started, in, in an absolute shocker for the podcasting world, some news broke just before we hit record rather than just after we finish. You'll know all about this by now, listener, but Ross Barkley has joined Aston Villa on a season-long loan. Uh, Liam, figuratively and, and literally, I'm scratching my head. Can you explain this move? Well, it, it's a it's a slightly unexpected one in that it wasn't, I don't think, too widely reported um, before it happened. I think all parties did a decent job of keeping it under wraps until it was quite advanced. Um, it probably makes sense for Barkley in terms of getting regular minutes. He he should play every single week for Aston Villa and be featured prominently in, in their midfield alongside Jack Grealish. Chelsea, as we know, have, have lots and lots of options in midfield and so um, I don't think they'll necessarily miss Barkley too much. The The surprise for me comes from the fact that Lampard was so forthright over the past past week or so or so open in, in talking about the potential need for Ruben Loftus-Cheek to go on loan and get minutes and well it, it would be slightly surprising at this point if Chelsea allowed both to go um, without you know, getting anyone else in. I know they've got a few attacking midfielders and we haven't even seen Hakeem Ziyech yet, but I don't know, it just seemed like it would be one or the other leaving rather than both. But it, I think it's probably a good platform for Barkley. Let's um, do our general transfer chat here then because the window, as we know, is going to be quietly pulled into the closed position over the next week. Simon, presumably this isn't going to be the, the only outgoing. You've got the exclusive on, on Marcus Alonso and the dressing room bust-up, I think we could call it, with uh, with Frank Lampard at West Brom. Is he heading for the door, Mark Dexit? What about anybody else that, that the club are trying to move on? Well, there's quite a lot of fringe players. Um, of course, Rudiger is pretty clear that he's being uh, earmarked for departure. Um, Kepa. Um, now that Mendy's arrived, you have to sort of question whether he can hang around because it's pretty doubtful. You have to say that that he'll be starting on a regular basis now and he'll be worried about his place in the Spain squad for the Euros. I, I actually think it's a bit of a toss-up 
um, until Alonso decided to sort of do what he did on at West Brom, uh, Emerson was kind of in the lead in terms of the left back that was uh, heading out the door first. Now Alonso through his uh, case um, into the lead, but then Emerson then stuffed up against Spurs. So it's kind of a flip of a coin um, <laughs> of which, which of the two go. But I think Alonso's sort of um, lack of respect for his team and sort of the message that he, he sort of sent has still made put him in pole position. The thing is, is that you know you've also got fringe players like um, you know Victor Moses, people like that, drink water, uh, players that have clearly not got a look in. Um, so Chelsea on the outgoing department are going to be very busy, and, and no one should be too surprised in in some respects that Barkley's gone in the sense that he also needs minutes. He's desperate to get his England place back, course left out of. Uh, the, the the squad the, the first England squad this season, and Chelsea desperately need to get rid of players in general because their squad is just too big to function properly. And and Barkley's never really nailed down a first team place since he joined a couple of years ago. Dom, there's definitely some some excess baggage in the squad, but you've been writing extensively about about burnout and injuries and what's going to happen this season. It, it's going to be a difficult balancing act, isn't it, for for Frank Lampard and Co. to to make sure that they don't leave themselves short in terms of players. You're absolutely right. I mean, but you are limited to a certain extent in as much as senior players is is, is 25 man squad in the Premier League. So I guess in that that respect, when you've got a, a player like Barkley who who wants to get his his place at Euro twenty twenty one and 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 to get games under his belt and and also to to shift a wage off of the wage bill a six figure weekly wage um, then then I guess it makes sense in that regard. Um, it feels as if they're going to be reliant upon younger players filling out the squad uh, from the twenty threes. Maybe from from even lower down um, in in the EU setup to to make up the numbers in training at Cobham to ensure that those fringe players do get some competitive action in training games behind the week to in, in the week rather to 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 prepare them for for first team exposure and 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 I guess that's just the way that Chelsea will have to go they they, they needed to trim we knew there were going to be at some outgoings we knew they were going to have to make sales I am intrigued as to what happens to Ruben Loftus Cheek now and and whether that package to take him on loan for what would effectively be eight months it's likely to be something around the region of eight million pounds and and whether that is putting off potential suitors and and whether you know the closer we get to to transfer deadline whether that package comes down a bit and and maybe Chelsea look to to maybe lower the the loan fee or even take a proportion of the wage because I do think it's going to price him out the market for for a lot of clubs. Okay, that's our transfer chat. Then we're recording the show the morning after Chelsea's defeat to Spurs in the Carabao Cup, so we better talk about that next. So we'll discuss Tuesday's game in some detail. Then rather than dissect Barnsley and West Brom, which have happened since we last met, we'll talk more generally about the patterns we've noticed. Uh, In terms of the Spurs match, Chelsea lost it on penalties after a one-all draw. Uh, Liam, to borrow a, a Svenism, first half good, second half not so good, would that be fair? Yeah, although I think that had just as much to do with the way Tottenham approached the game as well. I thought they were they were very passive in the first half and stood off Chelsea. And, and, and when you've got Jorginho and Kovacic in midfield under relatively little pressure, 
you're going to find it quite easy to control the game in the opposition half. Once Tottenham upped the intensity after half-time and really put Chelsea's midfielders and, and defenders under a bit more pressure, they managed to disrupt their rhythm quite easily and the, and the momentum of the game shifted long before they, re- they equalised. I, I wrote in my piece for The Athletic that between the 46th minute and the 70th minute, um, which was obviously before Lamella's goal, Chelsea's share of possession dropped to 46% and they just had one shot attempt, which wasn't on target. So they were already going the wrong way in the game. And then, of course, you have a defensive switch off from Emerson. I think Kante was also slightly culpable um, in the Lamella equaliser. It's just a case of Chelsea not putting a game away when they have their own chances on the break and then finding a way to concede at the worst possible time. Uh, in terms of the actual tactics of the game, Dom, do you think that um, Frank Lampard got outthought by Jose Mourinho, particularly in the second half? I don't know whether we should necessarily um, even credit Jose with 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 that too much either. I mean, Spurs are, are, are balancing their squad through a, a real clutter of fixtures, um, and okay that they brought on Harry Kane and provided a bit more clout that way. Although weirdly, I think Chelsea actually carved out a few more chances once Kane came on um, and, and they went for it. There was more urgency more than anything else. I don't, I don't think it was a tactical switch that, that, that switched the, the momentum in, in the tie. It, it was more Spurs' urgency and need to get back into it and, and Chelsea's inability to kill them off. I mean, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be questioning Lampard's tactics too much had the chances Chelsea created on the break been taken. Had there been better decision making by by Mason Mount or or even Callum Hudson Odoi who chose to shoot rather than slipping Tammy Abraham in on goal. And you know at two nil that tie was dead. Even even at one nil, I mean it, it did take a a sort of trademark uh, switch off in the defence for for the home side to, to come back into it. So I, I, I don't think we should overcredit Mourinho for, for tactically outthinking Lampard. I, 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 I just look at that team and think there are mistakes in it. They do switch off in games. Maybe that's down to youth. Maybe that's down to rustiness. Maybe that's down to attempting to sort of integrate new signings. But at the moment, they're vulnerable. And that was that was shown again at both ends of the pitch last night. Simon, last week you wrote a piece for The Athletic, how and why Edouard Mendy joined Chelsea. How do you think he did on his debut? Yeah, I thought he, he looked good. I mean, there, there was one just one sort of moment of concern when he when he dropped uh, across. Didn't lead to anything, uh, luckily. But um, but overall, I, I thought I thought he, he just gave Chelsea a bit more presence in the penalty area. He, he, he wasn't afraid to come for crosses. He, he made a good save. I think it was from Lamella with his feet. And it was just noticeable that you don't want to read too much into things, that, but perhaps there was a bit more confidence around that with the players in front of them as well once they sort of got to realise that there was someone willing to come for come for high balls, etc., which we haven't really seen from, from Kepper or Caballero. But overall, I just thought it reminded me a little bit of the cup final in the sense, not, not that Chelsea were... As, as impressive going forward as they were in the opening 15 minutes against Arsenal. But there was a similar kind of, oh, we're 1-0 up, let's now just pass it around, backwards, sideways. Took their foot off the gas. When when Tottenham were very um, apathetic, I have to say, they just sat off Chelsea and, and didn't really seem to be 
ready to lay a glove on them and that was the time to go for the kill and once again Chelsea sort of seemed to be lulled into a false sense of security and the unfortunate thing is in the second half after Kante came on I thought I thought improved things because I, I didn't really think the, the double axis of Jorginho and Kovacic worked from a defensive or an offensive point of view that, that Chelsea then created a couple of opportunities which really if you're going to be clinical Hudson Odoi or Mason Mountain are two two on two on one with Werner. Um, you've got to you've got to make the most of that. So it it was it was shades of the cup final for me. And the the, the biggest the biggest problem is is not just going out of the League Cup, which which is a blow because it's one of two competitions that I think Chelsea can realistically win. It's the timing of another setback. It, it's at the moment there's just so much negativity around. And it's and the season's only a few weeks old. You know we've seen the Liverpool loss, then the West Brom debacle. Even though they came back to rescue a point, the fallout with Alonso, and and now you've you've gone out to Mourinho and Spurs in the League Cup. So um, it it does put a lot of pressure onto Chelsea at a very early stage, and Frank Lampard himself, of course. Simon mentioned the fallout with Alonso there. You can read his piece on his row with Frank Lampard at West Brom, as well as everything that the guys have written, all fantastic stuff, and enjoy ad-free podcasts with a subscription to The Athletic, which for a limited time is just £1 a month. Just head to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod now. Okay, as I mentioned, Chelsea busy since we last spoke. They walloped Barnsley 6-0 in round three of the League Cup before that ludicrous 3 all draw at West Brom. Uh, rather than analyse those games individually, I thought we'd go through some of the Twitter questions uh, that we've received. Here's uh, David tweeting me at Matt Davis Adams if you want to do the same. He asks, what do you all make of the start by Frank? I'm really hoping he does well, but our owner isn't best known for his patience. Could empty stadiums make a board decision easier if they don't see what they want? Liam, we're very, very early into the season, but Simon's mentioned the negativity around the club already. Are we getting to that point where it's, it's starting to get to something that Frank Lampard should be worrying about? Well, I think the one the one way that the lack of fans in stadiums could negatively impact Lampard, um, to touch on what you said, is that I think if Stamford Bridge were full, I think those would be the last fans to turn on Lampard. I think they would be with him right till the end and probably beyond, um, purely because of who he is and the, and the connection that's there. Whereas right now, um, oh, if the club want to try and gauge fan feeling and fan reaction all they've really got is social media which is <laughs> always a dangerous barometer um, there always tends to be more negativity on there or louder negativity than anywhere else so that could potentially be a problem for for Lampard as as we go but right now I honestly I'm still finding it very difficult to draw solid conclusions about what Chelsea are going to be as a team from these first few games I mean half the players aren't fit we haven't seen all the new signings yet. A couple of them have only played one game. And so there's so much work to be done in terms of cohesion, you know, building a coherent tactical setup on the pitch with all these new faces. I always thought it was going to take time. And I think this these first few weeks have been a problem for a few clubs, unless, unless you're Liverpool and you're coming in as champions. So the key for Lampard in the short term is just to eke out enough points until... Chelsea are in a position where they can show a bit more of what they can actually be. I think that's that's the real challenge for them. They can't have more games like they did against West Brom where their mistakes are putting them in a hole that, that they're 
attacking talent can't really get themselves out of. Is he likely to be afforded more patience by the board because of his status as a player? Maybe on an emotional level, but I think I've, I've, I mean, I've covered Chelsea for 13 years and they've always been a ruthless club, essentially. Um, they won't be afraid to to make a decision like that on, on Lampard if they, if they feel that the club is regressing or the team risks not qualifying for the Champions League. But that's just the tone that they've set over the years. I, I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. I, I completely agree with, with Liam in that none of these games at the moment feel reflective of the of the Chelsea that, that Lampard and Granovskaya have built. Um, it's it's a very much a, a work in progress. And the, the problem they've got is that we would normally look at this and think, well, they've got a, an international window coming up. You know, that, that will give them an opportunity to to work with uh, the players and, and, you know, rest, rest a few others. And, and, and they'll, they'll come back stronger with a bit more momentum after after that international break. But the reality is that he will lose all those players for that international break, most likely. And they'll all come back in the second week and, and, and fall headfirst into another rush of, of fixtures because there's a, there's a hell of a lot of games between between the October and November breaks for the, for the international games. So it's 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 not going to be easy for him. But that's the reality of, of managing Chelsea Football Club. And at least he does have pedigree quality players that he will be able to call upon. And, and they'll, they will adjust. They will get better. This team will improve. Uh, and they'll be, uh, they'll be a, a force to be reckoned with by the end of the year, I'm sure. But the teething problems may persist for a, for a few weeks yet. Harry's sponsors straight out of Cobham. As a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash Cobham right now. That's harrys.com slash Cobham. I've been using my Harry's razor during lockdown and I can assure you that it is the smoothest, most comfortable shave that you can find harrys.com forward slash cobham looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Here's a question from a different David that I'll put to you, Simon, uh, where he says, what is the feeling inside the club regarding the seemingly endless individual mistakes Chelsea players keep making leading to goals, i.e. why it keeps happening, what are they doing to address it, even happen with new players we've brought, it's embarrassing for a top team. It, it kind of comes back to a similar theme, doesn't it, about what's happening on the training pitches at Cobham and maybe a consequence of the fact that they can't do much other than them recover at the moment from games and, and prepare for the next one. But but it is odd that there's so many individual errors at the moment. I mean, frustration inevitably uh, is, is the main sort of feeling around, around the coaching staff. Um, you know, is it a consequence of the chopping and changing of, of lineup? You know, players perhaps sort of thinking, Am I in the plans? Am I not? Uh, I'm speculating here. You know, it's it's hard to put a finger on because 
as, as Lampard himself has said, you can you can have as many team meetings as you want, but if, if a player can't track a run, as, as as Emerson, for example, did on against Spurs, when it's pretty obvious that there's a free man at the back post, or Marcus Alonso at West Brom, or you know Thiago Silva sort of letting uncharacteristically letting a ball slip under his foot, it's bizarre because that that's not coaching. That's that's players failing to do the basics. And it's hard to put a finger on why this keeps happening on a regular basis because, you know, maybe there's an element as well of certainly regarding this season that the preparation couldn't have been any worse. And I always felt that the first month or two of this season was a damage limitation exercise whilst Chelsea got up to speed. But unfortunately, confidence is also a brittle thing. And once things start going awry, then it almost sort of becomes a uh, a revolving circle where one mistake follows another. I, I I just think the only way that Chelsea can get out of this sort of very mini slump at the start of the season is start off with Palace, clean sheet, win the game, come back off the international break, do some more victories in a row. Because other than that, it just seems like Chelsea haven't had a consistent run of games since before the international break of last November, I think, when they won seven, seven, eight games in a row. Ever since then, it's felt like win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Um, it just feels like that's the kind of ship that Chelsea are, are sailing at the moment. It's a very sort of choppy, uh, choppy sea they're sailing on, which is a terrible analogy, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad you said ship. Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size, the styles you like and everything at the price you want? Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes getting the clothes you love simple. It's a completely different way to shop and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic to set up your profile and they'll deliver great looks personalised just for you. You'll pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. Schedule at any time with no subscription. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic now. Um, here's one from, from Monsi, Liam, that, that I'll put to you. It's an interesting question, I think. He says, what is Frank's type of play or shape? Conte had a rigid back three. Sarri's was vertical tiki-taka. What is Frank's? I don't know if it has a name like, like that. I think he, he has a lot of principles in in his play that are quite similar to Sarri and that he wants to... He wants to press high. He wants to play possession football in the opposition half as much as possible. He wants to play high tempo, which I think is a you know is the kind of principle you see from Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Mauricio Pochettino when he was at Spurs. He's got a lot of modern um, aspects to his style. Now you can argue, is that bound together in the kind of sort of tight tactical overall plan that some other coaches, particularly the top coaches in the game, offer you and. I don't know. Um, it, it, it's certainly true that I think Lampard favours a, a less structured style in the attacking half of the pitch than Sarri and Conte did, which I think can help actually maximise attacking players and um, and create slightly more creative patterns that are a bit harder to deal with. And we, I think we saw that at times last year. I don't think we, we, we're going to see it in full flow this year until Chelsea have all of their best attackers fit. Where that less structured approach 
maybe causes a few more problems is in defence where it becomes more a case of personal responsibility rather than collective you know organisation it becomes about players making more decisions for themselves and I think Chelsea's defenders have shown time and again um, that they can be susceptible to making bad decisions in those spots and, and making the kind of errors that lead to goals so I don't know if you can put like it's not you can't put a buzzword on it. It's not Sarri ball. It's not um, heavy metal football like Jurgen Klopp. I don't know if it's got a brand name, but um, Lampard does seem broadly like a, a a modern progressive style of coach. It's just whether you think he's got that kind of level of tactical detail that that some of the very best in the game do. Okay, final tweet from today. I'd like everybody's opinion on this. Simon, I'll come to you first. The, the tweet comes in from Sean. He asks, what do you think is the reason there's such a toxic attitude to Mason Mount? Additionally, why does Lampard think he can play every minute of every game? Is the answer to the first part of the question in the second there that people are a bit baffled as to as to why he never seems to get rested or, or even substituted very often? I think there's an element of that. It's difficult because, you know, there's sections of the fan base that would be pro-Mason Mount there'll be sections of the fan base which is pretty obvious not helped by his missed penalty that are, are anti-Mason Mount and it, I, I don't know whether it's because he's not a sexy foreign signing that costs 50-60 million pounds it, it sort of seems quite easy to get on a youngster's back maybe it's because he's sort of seen as this Lampard teacher's pet almost you know are people associating Lampard's failings for want of a better word or disappointing results and and tying the two of them together because Mason Mount plays a lot of games I I think it's incredibly harsh I think I I don't understand it I think it it, it's remarkable what Mason Mount did last season yes perhaps he was played a bit too much but people sort of seem to forget that that was his first senior season as a Chelsea player and he did pretty well People have short memories. On on Saturday, he was a key part of Chelsea's comeback. Fantastic goal and had a very good good half. Perhaps it's also because he's not being picked, in my opinion, in his best position on a regular basis. Um, For me, if you remember, one of his best performances was against Everton uh, just before lockdown, where he played as one of the um, attacking midfielders in a 4-3-3. Um, with the game in front of him and he was able to express himself. It seems to be on on many games he's sort of picked to do the negative job of running around, pressing, uh, harrying opponents, etc., etc., and and doesn't have as much um, licence, it seems, to do the the attacking uh, part of his play. Look, there's no doubt about it, he, he didn't have a good game against Spurs and it, it kind of felt inevitable that he was going to miss that penalty but it, it does seem like he's become a bit of a scapegoat for when things go wrong at Chelsea and I just don't think it's it's fair and people should uh, perhaps focus on what he can do and the positives of what he has brought rather than constantly focusing on the negative. Liam you've written about Chelsea's midfield in, in the wake of the Spurs game where, where do you see Mount's future being in terms of his best position? I agree with Simon. I think his his best position is as a number eight, um, a very a, an attack minded number eight in a in a in quite an expansive three man midfield. But I think in order to make that work, I think you need a proper defensive minded 
destroyer at the base of midfield who can balance things, especially if you're going to have you know Mason Mount and, and maybe Kai Havertz as the other guy in that midfield against teams that you're expecting to dominate. That's why Chelsea are looking at Declan Rice, um, because I think Lampard knows that the midfielders that he currently has, Jorginho plays in that position, but he doesn't play it in a defensive sense. He doesn't have the instincts or even really the athleticism to to track opposition runners in, into the box. And neither, frankly, does Mateo Kovacic or even N'Golo Kante, who is probably the best seek and... Well, certainly the best seek and destroy midfielder in world football. He doesn't really have the, the natural instincts for, for turning around and, and following midfield runners diligently into his own penalty area. It's never really been his game. So... I think Chelsea probably need a little bit more of a specialist in that role and that would help to give the freedom to play Mount, I think, a little bit more often in, in what probably is his strongest role. Lastly, on, on Mount then, Dom, uh, as I always do, I, I put out a tweet asking for, for questions for, for today's show and we got some some really good ones in and then a load of abuse for Mount follows. This is a, a 21-year-old barely an adult, as Simon says, in his second season as a Chelsea footballer. Is this just a kind of a syndrome of, of football Twitter rather than actually reflecting what the majority of the, the Chelsea fan base think? I'd like to think so. Uh, I don't think Twitter is is reflective of how the, the majority think. Um, and bearing in mind that, you know, you, you were asking for comments there 10 minutes after an elimination from a cup competition and when when people are probably feeling a bit raw anyway. Uh, so I, I suspect the, the reaction is always slightly inflammatory but and wounded, to be honest. But it doesn't justify the abuse that he gets. Not, not, it doesn't at all. I mean, he's a, he's a hugely talented player that is, has been valued by Frank Lampard, has been valued by Gareth Southgate, uh, has been valued by all the coaches up through Chelsea's academy system. They all recognise his talent. He is. He's been the constant in Frank Lampard's managerial career uh, at Derby and 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 now with with Chelsea. Um, he's almost a sort of Jorginho to to Maurizio Sarri. Uh, it's he's someone that he trusts. Frank Lampard trusts Mason Mount, and he's a better judge of a talented midfielder than than the vast majority of people out there on Twitter. Let's be honest. He's got good good reason to know what he's talking about in that regard. Well said. Okay, we'll have a quick look ahead to Saturday's game with Crystal Palace next. So it's a lunchtime appointment for Chelsea this weekend as Crystal Palace visits Stamford Bridge in what is widely regarded as the Dom Derby. Um, We'll start with the (laughs) opponents first of all then, uh, Dom. Tell us what sort of shape Crystal Palace are in as, as they come to the bridge. Well, Joe World handballs aside, they're 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 pretty buoyant, uh, to be honest, with the, the start they had. That's the first time ever they'd won their first two top flight games uh, in a season. Um, they they will pose a threat to Chelsea. This is going to sound vaguely ridiculous, and and Chelsea supporters may may balk at me saying this, but it's actually not a, a, a an appalling time to be playing Crystal Palace because Jeffrey Schlupp isn't available. And and you know you shouldn't ever really gauge a, a team's the prospect of a team's success over whether Jeffrey Schlupp's hamstrings hurt or not. But that is the reality. <laughs> he 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 does provide an awful lot of balance. Um, he, he's another ball carrier in that in that Palace team alongside Wilfred Zaha, Jordan Ayew, Eberichi Eze now, Andros Townsend, and and that is where their threat lies. Uh, they've they've they won't 
have very much of the ball at Stamford Bridge. They haven't had very much of the ball in any of their games so far this season. But they've got a big, big threat on the counter-attack. It's, it's more like the Crystal Palace teams that we saw maybe three or four years back um, when they had Yannick Balassi and Zaha on the flanks. There's a lot of pace. There's a lot of... Uh, power in that team going forward on the counter and, and that will stretch Chelsea when you see you know when when teams tend to go di- direct against them and, and counter at pace there is a vulnerability in this Chelsea back line and I think that's what Palace will a- attempt to exploit uh, that none of their back four that play on Saturday with the possible exception of Mamadou Sakho would count themselves as first choice. They, they, they're, they're, they've got full of injuries at the back. Chelsea will fancy their chances of, of opening Palace up. They've got a midfielder playing at centre-half at the moment. But I do look at what Palace have on the counter and think that Palace will really, really stretch Chelsea defensively. And that, that could be where the game is won or lost. Uh, therefore then, Liam, what kind of team would you be picking were you Frank Lampard for this game? Would there be lots of changes from, from Tuesday? I think he'll make a few just because there there is a certain allowance for necessary rotation this early in the season. Um, my priority would be if you're going to play Thiago Silva, which I think Lampard probably will do, um, given that he didn't feature against Spurs, you have to put speed next to him, whether that's Fikayo Tomori or Kurt Zuma, um, because as Dom eloquently uh, set out, I don't think there's a team in the Premier League, maybe with the possible exception of Manchester United, who have more ideal personnel to expose Chelsea's weaknesses than Crystal Palace. A big part of it will be Lampard needs to to pick a midfield that looks after the ball, that doesn't turn the ball over in bad positions. And he needs Thiago Silva to be um, a little bit more on it than he was against West Brom, maybe with a bit more sharpness he is. But fundamentally, he needs to put speed around him as well because they they need the they need the option of being able to recover if they are caught out of position or if one of Palace's ball carriers just beat their man and and create dangerous situations. Um, in attack, we all know Chelsea's weapons, so I think any combination, I think I think they could be confident of of carrying a threat. But it's it's the other end that's the main concern. Simon, Liam mentions attack there. I often think that, that players' reputations are never more enhanced than when they're out injured. Have we got any word on whether we might see Christian Pulisic or, or Hakim Ziyech? The Ziyech one's a little bit concerning, isn't it? Because we haven't really had any clarity on how long he's expected to be out for. Lampard the other day said they're, they're close, um, both of them, and that was before the, the Spurs game. Been saying um, that for a while, though, hasn't he? Yeah, but Ziyech has been... Has been pictured in training um so i I do think that's uh that's genuine um whether the palace game comes a bit too soon probably you know best one or both of them would be on the bench um even if they're considered fit enough um but we won't really be seeing the best of those two until after the international break which is sort of in keeping with with chelsea in general that we won't be seeing the best of them for a while I just think it's all about three points. And going back to, I think, the point that was made earlier about fans um, regarding Lampard's future, I also sort of think this is the kind of game where perhaps the fans would be really missed. You, you could argue it both ways, that, that there might be a, a feeling of tension if they were there. But I actually think that you'd probably get a lot of pro-Lampard people um, 
in the ground right now, sort of rallying behind the team, rallying behind Lampard in a in a in a in a in a big game, which it, it is a big game. Um, uh, but of course, they're going to have to do it without them. Um, yeah, it's just it's just all about getting that win and sort of going into an international break with with some feelings of positivity, because you can imagine if the worst case scenario happens, the amount of speculation that will increase about what's going on at Chelsea will, will definitely be on the rise because uh, it would go down as a really bad start to Lampard's second season um, if they failed to, to win because the gap to the top four, let alone first place, would be getting big already and uh, Chelsea don't want to be playing catch-up so soon. Well, whatever happens, we'll be reacting to that game in next week's pod. That's just about it for this week, though. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been writing for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Liam, I mentioned your piece on Chelsea's midfield earlier. Uh, what else have you got in the pipeline? Yeah, so that's up for Athletic readers to to have a look at now. But I'm also working on a piece about Victor Moses, um, his his unique journey from the Europa League final to outside the first team bubble at Cobham and kind of what happens to him now in his career. So we'll, so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Dom, how about you? I suspect my week will be taken up with, with transfer deadline stories, hopefully. Um, I'm intrigued to read about Victor Moses because there was a player that was a couple of months back was playing in the Europa League final. Um, not even a couple of months back, probably only a month back. And yet he's, where where does his future lie? There'll be a a few interested people down at Sellers Park who might who might look at uh, where his career is, has gone since uh, in, in the last few years, but yeah, lots of lots of long term projects on the go, and we'll see where it goes. I'm looking forward to Saturday as well to see uh, see Palace uh, and Chelsea play. Simon, your uh, Marcus Alonso piece generated a lot of interest this week. What what else are you working on? I'm working on a piece about how Lampard is in this. Will be trying to do what. Klopp, Pochettino and Guardiola were also sort of having to do in their first year or two in charge of their respective clubs and and sort of trying to mould a squad into his liking, really. Um, so I'm trying to make that comparison that uh, whilst everyone is, is judging what's going on right now, um, let's look at what three very respected managers had to do to get the teams playing the way they wanted. Um, so yeah, that's basically what I'll be doing. Sounds good. Remember, if you're not an Athletic subscriber, you can sign up now for just a pound a month. Just head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. Now, uh, my thanks as ever to Liam, to Simon, to Dom, to producer Adonis and to you listener. Do join us again next week, but it's bye for now. <laughs>